It is indeed such a joy to be with you. I'm going to take off my glasses because the, the, the lights hit my glasses perfectly that I can't see out there. So I just want to look at you for a minute. See all through here and uh, there and said earlier that how much you've grown. And I do know some of you, of course, and love you dearly, miss you, but so glad that the Lord is using you here at Christ Church Bentonville. And for those of you that I don't have the privilege of knowing, I hope that someday we get to um, spend more time together, get to know one another, and to see what the Lord is doing. But it is good to be with you, and I know that uh, this song has already been read as part of the service, but I'm going to read it again. And I do that not for your sake, well, it is for your sake, and you, really, you cannot read too much of the Word of God. I think you said that in Sunday school this morning. You cannot read too much of the Word of God, but for a preacher, and especially for me, to read it right before I preach um, is a help for me to make sure that I stick to the Word rather than moving off somewhere else. So if you will indulge me and allow me to read Psalm 100 again, it's not that long of a reading. Aaron, you want me to have everybody stand while we read? Let's stand while we read the Word of God, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, shall we? Our God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. And we would ask now tonight that you would take your word and meet it with your spirit and our hearts. And that you would mold us and make us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. Lord, might we be even bold enough to pray this night. Would you have your way with us? Would you work in us? Would you open our ears? Would you enlighten our minds? Would you open our eyes? And Lord, soften our hearts and yes, Lord, even bend our wills to yours. Oh God, in my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. And would you teach us, we ask, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he said of this song, he said, it is all ablaze with grateful adoration and has for this reason been a great favorite with the people of God ever since it was written. Let us sing the old hundredth is one of the everyday expressions of the Christian church. And will be so while men exist whose hearts are loyal to the great king. Nothing can be more sublime, he says, this side of heaven than the singing of this noble song by a vast congregation. Watts is paraphrased, beginning before Jehovah's awful throne, and the Scotch, all people that on earth do dwell, are both noble versions. I believe we're going to get to see that. I sing that, aren't we, at the end of at the end of our worship together tonight? But this song, it is indeed a song loved by the church. 
In fact, I would argue that if any of us knew, if anybody were to ask somebody else, do you know of any of the Psalms, it might be Psalm 1 that they might know. Psalm, or Psalm 100. Psalm 100 or, or Psalm 23, possibly. But this Psalm, it is a Psalm loved by the church and the reasons are clear, aren't they? Even as we read through it, and even as we read through it twice, and just look at some of the words and some of the ideas that are expressed. Joy, gladness, singing, God's presence, belonging, care, rest, thanksgiving, entering into gates and courts, and, and it's just a it's just a beautiful, wonderful picture. And it never stopped there, but kept and loved by the king therein. What's not to love? about a psalm that speaks of such things. This psalm is moving us to give thanks and praise to the Lord because indeed there is so much to be thankful for. And it's always appropriate for us as Christians, and I think sometimes we think, well, you know, that time of Thanksgiving is a time where we can give thanks. No, we are to be a thankful people all the time for all the good things that God has done for us. And my hope is, and I hope, and I pray that this is the case for you all. I know you're doing a series through the Psalms, and I pray and trust that as y'all walk through these, that you would be reminded of those precious things and gifts of the Lord, that our mind, that your mind would be drawn beyond the earthly, beyond the temporary, and that we might look to the things eternal. That we might consider indeed what God has done for us. And even, even just from this psalm, we are even here, we as God's people are invited into the presence of God, the creator of all things. And dare I say, for those of us who belong to Him, it's even deeper than that relationship of a creator to His creation. It's fuller than that. Why do I say such a thing? Because we belong to Him. We've been redeemed by Him. It's not just the creator-creation relationship. It is a father-son, father-daughter relationship. We belong to Him. We dwell in His pasture as we pray. And we dwell securely and eternally there, kept by His steadfast love and His promise. So this is the psalm before us, and I Pray that as we walk through it, our hearts would be encouraged, that God would be honored, and even Christ would be exalted. And as we walk through this psalm, let's do, let's give thanks as we go. And let's give thanks that we're invited to His presence, we see that. Let's give thanks that we dwell in God's pasture, we see that. And let's give thanks that we are kept by His promise and His steadfast so first, invited into His presence. And we are thankful indeed for that invitation, aren't we? And shouldn't we be? Because apart from that invitation, we couldn't come. What a privilege. What a privilege to be in the presence of our Creator. Whether that's, whether that's in private or particularly in public. As we are gathered together this evening in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a privilege to be in the presence of God and God meets with us here in a way that He doesn't meet with us throughout the week. Where we're met here, called by the elders of the church in the name of the Lord Jesus to come together and to worship and to meet with God. 
And so we would pray even at the beginning of a service. And we ask the Lord, and, and I'm sure you've been taught this. I'm sure you've been taught this, but it's called an invocation for a reason. We do an invocation because we are invoking. You know what we are invoking? We are invoking the Lord's presence by His Spirit to be in our midst. And when we pray that, we believe in faith that God joins us in our worship of Him. Well, verses 1 and 2, they say, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. This, this call for us. And I couldn't help but to think, uh, of what an encouragement it is. And even with the psalms that we sang this morning, and some of them were more somber, the psalms of lament and of thinking about who we are before our Creator. But as we move through the service, as we move through the service, we're reminded that we have reason to rejoice because our lament is turned to joy in Christ Jesus. And, and that's what we're being taught here. This call to make a joyful noise to the Lord, and from a very general sense, it's first and foremost to the earth itself. And you may say, well, what do you mean by that? It's not just the church to whom this command is given. Make a joyful noise to the earth. Because why? Because God is king over all, over everything and everywhere. The, the fact that one acknowledges his kingship doesn't make it so. The fact that one may deny his kingship doesn't make it not so. It's the truth of the Word of God. And you've probably seen signs elsewhere. I've seen them before, bumper stickers, or, or particularly when you're traveling across the United States, you may pull into a restaurant in a small town, and, and, and they have a placard out front that says, Jesus is King over Smallville. Well, guess what? You're exactly right. But your thinking's a little small. Because He is King over all things, whether you declare it or not, whether you proclaim it or not, He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's King everywhere. But it's only those, it's only those who know Him that can make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's only those of us who've been redeemed, who've been called by Him, who can serve Him with gladness, who can, even those who can come into His presence with singing. We can come singing because we've been invited. We've been invited by the Creator of all things to come into His presence to sing the praise that He is due. And we do. We sing to Him. And some of us, some of us like me, a joyful noise is as good as it's going to get. It may not be beautiful. It may just be a joyful noise. But isn't that the call? To make a joyful noise before the Lord. And I think sometimes we're afraid of that. I think sometimes we're afraid of making a joyful noise because, well, there's a myriad of reasons, right? We might be afraid of what others think. Brothers and sisters, we're not singing to them this morning at Trinity Grace. I don't know why I did this. Maybe because uh, the Lord was preparing me to preach here tonight. But this morning at Trinity Grace, I hardly ever do this. Because it's really interesting as a preacher. And... Um, you come in, and I usually sit up front to gather myself for a few moments before we start. And so my back is to the rest of the congregation. So I never really know who's there until I get up and I turn around and look. But as we were there and we were singing, I thought, I'm going to look at the congregation. I turn around to watch. And people are singing. 
They're singing praise to the Lord. Some of them have beautiful voices. Some of them are more like me, just making a joyful noise to the Lord. But they've been invited, you've been invited to the presence of God to sing to Him. And I think sometimes we're afraid because what's my neighbor next to me going to think? Brothers and sisters, we're not singing to each other. I'm sure we're encouraged by one another, maybe. But we're not singing to one another. We're singing to the Lord God. We're singing His praise. He is your audience. And I know you've been taught this because this is sort of Taylor's fashion. He is your audience in worship. Not one another, but the Lord God Himself. Maybe it's too. We don't want them to think that we're, you know, we don't want them to think that we're too excited about the Lord. We're being too emotional. And for some of you young people out there, sometimes as you get older, and some of you teenagers know this now, sometimes people don't think it's cool to sing. Well, I've got news for them. It may not be cool in the eyes of the world, but it is beautiful in the sight of God. And it's a privilege for the people of God to sing praises to Him. Maybe for us older people, we may just be afraid of being identified as those who focus too much on emotions and not on the truth of the Word of God. But is it not the truth of the Word of God that actually should move us? Isn't it the truth of God that moves us in that way, that, that causes us? I think somebody even said as part of the worship here, this is our response. This is our response to what the Lord has done for us. I, I was, this has been years ago now, but I remember this conversation that took place with two ladies in our church, and they were talking about their relationships with others, and one of them was encouraging the other to not, to not engage in their relationship with so much emotion. And she said to her friend, she said, she said, how can you not do that? I love this person. And because I love this person, there's going to be emotion involved. There's going to be a passion involved because I love this person. The same thing is true about the Lord, is it not? But if we have a love for the Lord, there's going to be a response. If we have a relationship with Him, there's going to be a response. And granted, we're, we're all different. We're all different. That doesn't mean that we all show our affection in the same way. We don't. We don't. It's not a prescription for a particular response, but it is a call for a response of praise. Why? Because we've been called into the presence of our Maker and our Savior. Now, sometimes when I read the Psalms or even letters in the New Testament, and I note the, the passion of the writers. The, and, and I begin to compare myself to others and think and think things like, I, I wish I was more like them. You know, when you compare yourself to others around you, how does that make you feel? I don't know about you, but it makes me feel condemned that I'm not good enough. And I start thinking, I, I should be more passionate like they are. I should respond that way. What's wrong with me? But again, could it be, could it be that we're looking at others rather than looking to the Lord? That our view is wrong, that it's horizontal rather than vertical. Because when we look horizontal, oftentimes we do feel condemned. But we look vertical. We look vertical. And we rejoice that we're not condemned. That we've been saved by the Lord Jesus. Our praise, our worship is a response to God, to His person, to His 
character to his work for us. And that should, that should move us. The gospel should move us. And there's, a, there's an old praise song written by Darlene. Um, I think you pronounce her last name, Jesh, something like that. I think it's Czechoslovakian. But, and I would endorse all of her theology or aspects of her theology that you find in her music. But, but oh, there's one of her songs that I just love. And maybe you've heard it. Shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing, power and majesty, praise to the King. Has anybody ever heard that song? Mountains bow down and the sea. that one? Oh, it's beautiful. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing the joy of the work of your hands forever. I'll love you forever. I'll stand nothing compared to the promise that I have in you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your life. And they are wonders. They are wonders. And then notice too, yes, there's, there's praise, but there's also serve. Serve the Lord with gladness. We get, and it's a privilege, we get to serve the Lord. So we seek pleasure in all sorts of things. You and I both know this. You and I both try it. We, we seek pleasure in all sorts of things, and we chase after things that the world tells us that will give us satisfaction and will make us happy, make us glad. But when we begin to understand the depth of what God has done for us and the joy, and the joy that comes with serving Him, then, then our praise and our search and our longing moves from these things that leave us empty, and they move to the Lord Jesus, to Him who is sufficient for all things. Again, our praise, our worship, our thanks is a response to what is done. Psalm chapter 28. I don't think anybody's preaching today, are they? Um, Psalm 28, 7. It says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts. And with my song, I will give thanks to Him. I'll give thanks to Him for what the wonders. What are those wonders? Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, lived and died for sinners like you and me. That's a wonder. That's a wonder, is it not? And then there's another song, uh, Psalm uh, 146. I want you to notice the contrast with what we just read in that song and what this song says. Psalm 146 reminds us, as it not, it says, do not put your trust in princes or in a son of man. And why wouldn't we do that? Because they're going to leave you empty. They're going to disappoint. But not the Lord. But not the Lord. In Him I trust. And He helped. That's what the psalmist declares. And why does He do this? Why, why can we trust Him? Because we belong to Him. Because we do indeed dwell in his pasture. Verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God, and he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let that sink in for just a second. He made us. He made us individually. He made us corporately. The creator of, of all heaven and earth. And we are his people. And we're the sheep of his pasture. I love that imagery. 
that the shepherd tends his flock, that the shepherd takes care of his flock, so the Lord takes care of his own flock. Our shepherd tends us. We, we proclaim the day that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, that you know, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. What more could we ask for from a shepherd? He's laid, he's laid down his life for us. He's bought us with his, with his own blood. And we were, we were wandering sheep. We were like sheep without a shepherd. And did you know that sheep, sheep are really interesting. And I don't say that to be funny necessarily. They just aren't an interesting animal. Did you know that sheep, when they are lost, they usually don't wander around? I didn't know this about sheep. Now, I, granted, here in Northwest Arkansas, where we usually see sheep, sheep farming is a little bit different than other parts of the world. But when sheep are lost, they usually don't just wander around. In fact, there's, and there's enough danger in that. I mean, and there's, there's lessons for us in that, that we can wander around, be outside the fold, and have all these dangers that might come upon us without the shepherd there and so forth. And, and indeed, that is all true. But when a sheep is lost, often that sheep will simply give up and lay down and die. Isn't that interesting? They'll just give up. Because after all, with no shepherd, what's the hope? What's the hope? But Jesus is our great shepherd. That wandering sheep gives in to life's pressure. The hopelessness of life without a shepherd to feed, to care for, to water, and tend. But while we were lost, we've been found. We were dead, but now we're alive. We were slaves, now we're free. Now we are sons and daughters of the living God. We are his sheep. And two, now before we leave the sheep imagery, Sheep are stubborn. Most of us know that just from reading about sheep. They can be belligerent. They don't and they can't care for themselves. They depend on their shepherd. Their hope is in their shepherd. The shepherd cares for them. The shepherd defends them. Shepherds carry a rod. We know that, right? The psalmist says that rod and they staff, they, they comfort them. The rod is used for many things. It's, it's used to fight off beasts of the field. It was used to direct the sheep. It was used to keep them from going in the wrong and uh, keep them from going in the wrong direction and keep them in the right direction. It was used to it was used to count sheep. Sheep would pass by, and the shepherd would use his rod to count them and inspect them to see if they were healthy. Ezekiel twenty uses that same imagery and calls it passing under the rod. And so there's a separating here of the sheep. Those that belong and those that aren't really sheep at all. And those that don't belong. And oftentimes sheep would have a, a brand on them or an identifying mark. And so the shepherd would take his rod and he'd move the wool to see if they had the mark that they actually belonged to him or not. And this all was a time of close examination for the sheep. On the outside, from a distance, how many of you have been up close to a sheep? Just think about that in your mind. Some of you have been, some of you haven't been. Some of you have seen them from afar. 
But those of us who only see them from afar, it's really interesting. They look so white and so pretty. And then you get up close and you realize something. They are not very white and they are not very pretty. And they stink. They can be pretty, nasty animals. Because sometimes that wool, from a distance that looks clean and free from disease or pests or whatever the case might be. But if you lift up that thick wool, that's where you really find out the health of the sheep. And that's where the saying came from, that one does not just pull the wool over his eyes. All that is hidden under that wool. But not from a shepherd's eyes. He knows. He knows the health of the sheep. So the rod was a real comfort and confidence for the sheep in the shepherd. It, 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 was a, um, it was a symbol of his rule, of his guiding them, his discipline of them, his correction for them, his protection of them. And is that not exactly what the Word of God does for us? That it leads us, it guides us, his protection for us. It's God's revealed will. It is our defense against the enemy. It's our authority, and apart from the Word of God, what authority do we have? Um, I love the Sunday school class this morning, by the way. Only caught the back end of it, but the authority of the Word of God for faith and life over all things. It's our direction and guidance, our comfort, it's our hope. It, it keeps us going in the right direction. Now that's really interesting. Keeps us going in the right direction. And I don't mean that in a, um, a flippant way at all. At, at our church, we've been studying through the pastoral epistles, and there's that one passage in 2 Timothy 2.15. And in that passage, it talks about that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. Many of you probably have read that text before. And that word there, to divide, it's a great word. Also, from your Sunday school class, I learned this morning, our English Bibles are great translations. And indeed they are. It's a perfect word. But sometimes, sometimes, it's how we interpret that rather than the way that it's written. Because divide can be used in several ways. Sometimes people read that and they use it and say, okay, we're going to divide the Word of God as if it's not one big story from Genesis to Revelation. That's not what the author, that's not what Paul is talking about. In fact, that word, and, and there is a word in the Greek that means to cut up, but that's not the word used. The word used is here, it's the word to divide, but it's an engineering word, and it was used, it was used for the engineers to cut roads to go from the starting place and to be cut in such a way that it ends where it's supposed to end. Think of the wonder of that for the Word of God. We are to rightly divide the word of truth that it ends where it's supposed to take us. And where is that? To the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God is to lead us there. It's to push us there. For after all, He is He is the word. And all of it, all of it points to the Lord Jesus, our hope. Your word, the psalmist says, I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The author of Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Again, naked and exposed before the Word of the Lord. And there's so many things from your Sunday school class before we met here, and I'm going, this sermon is going to be long because I'm going to reference them. The same thing was said in your Sunday school class just a little bit ago. 
But it's too often we think that we stand to uh, above the Word of God as if we study it. But truly understand, but truly understood, it studies us. It exposes our hearts. And it points us back to our shepherd. A really good road cut to point us to the Lord Jesus. And we're reminded why not to turn away from him? Why not to run away? Why not to rebel against our shepherd? Why? Because yes, it is dangerous. It is dangerous. It leads to despair, to destruction. But our shepherd loves his sheep, and he knows that there, and he knows that there is nothing out there that satisfies. He knows that because only he satisfies. Nothing out there that gives life. Only Christ, who's given his life for the sheep. Because he's a good shepherd and we dwell in his pasture. That's why we can enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise because we belong to him. We've been cleansed in him. We bear, we bear his mark. So brothers and sisters, the reason for the call to thanksgiving should be obvious. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? Because he's our shepherd and the shepherds lay down his life for the sheep. And this life and this pasture isn't something that we can use. And this is our last point. We're kept by His promise. We are kept by His steadfast love. For the Lord is good, it says. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. God's mercy is everlasting. And I love this thought. I love this thought. In glory. You know, we, we think of God's mercy, we think of God's blessing, and then we think of glory. And, and we know, and we are taught, we're told from the scriptures that His mercies are new every morning. And aren't we thankful for that? But do you not yearn for the day that, that we will not say necessarily that His mercies are new every morning, but do you not yearn for the day that we will say His glories are new every morning? You see, on this side of glory, it's His mercies that are new to us that we need to get us through. But in glory, in glory, all pain will be gone, all sickness will be gone. There will only be life and only be glory. And that glory, Peter tells us, will never dim. It will never fade. His glories are new every morning. God's mercy, however, is indeed everlasting. It's not that even His mercy ends. It is everlasting. He never tires of loving His people. Isn't that a great thought? You young parents out there with young children, how many of you ever get tired? I, I, I got tired. I've got kids that are grown now, and I still get tired with them. And sometimes of them. But God never tires of loving His people. He never tires of loving us. Our God is a God of infinite mercy and goodness. The word here that we translate as steadfast love can also be translated as mercy or as grace. It's God's, any, any of those are, are great translations. It's God's covenant love for us. His covenant love endures forever. Ephesians 2, 4 to 7 says that God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. While we were dead, Christ made us alive. While we were helpless, wandering, dying sheep with no shepherd, he, he, he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What mercy, what goodness. God is, is faithful. He's forever faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's promised to save those who believe in him. Galatians, Paul says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to what? According to promise. According to the promise of the covenant-keeping God. According to the promise of he who never lies. That's our hope. Eternal life. Eternal life with joy and peace and gladness. And, and the scripture is also clear of what that promise is. We don't have to guess about that promise. John says, and this is the promise that he promised us, eternal life. He says it very clearly. Sin brought death, but Jesus has brought life. Might we indeed, might we as believers in the Lord Jesus be a thankful people? Might God give us hearts that long to give thanks, that long to give praise. Because he is certainly worthy of our praise. God is a faithful God who saved us from sin and death and has given us life. That's worthy of praise, isn't it? Let's pray together. Our God in heaven.